church? Can't hear me. Okay. Can you hear me now? Okay. Uh, So if we could have the PowerPoint up, David, please. Um, We're spending some time looking at the attributes of Harvest Church, of the church as a whole and of the people within it. And uh, John's just given you a big clue uh, in what he said uh, about what those attributes have been. But I just want to see if anyone can remember uh, what those attributes are. Genuine, okay. Thankful. Generous. And courageous. Very good. Uh, So... Uh, genuine living out God's approval by being really real. Thankful, expressing our thanks for everything, in every way, to everyone. Generous, seeking the best, seeing the best and sharing of our best. And courageous, fearless Christianity regardless. And this morning we're going to be looking at the story of Esther. And it's a great story. It's, um, it could be a film. Uh, you know, it's got heroes and villains, goodies and baddies. Uh, there's politics, betrayal, intrigue and greed, loyalty, romance, courage and trust in a powerful God. The story takes place thousands of years ago in the Middle East and comes from a book in the Bible where God is not mentioned. So it's focused on everyday, ordinary lives. And in order to understand Esther's courage, we need to understand her situation and the culture in which she was living. Last week, we heard about Boaz and Ruth, a story which took place um, in the time of the judges around 1200 BC. Esther's story takes place much later. The judges had been replaced by kings. Israel had split into two kingdoms, and then the northern kingdom was wiped out. And just after um, 600 BC, Nebuchadnezzar had come along and taken many of the Jews to Babylon in captivity. And some years after the capture of the Jews by Nebuchadnezzar, King Cyrus of Persia overthrew Babylon. So some of the Jews were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, but many found the new regime tolerable and the thought of going back and rebuilding a destroyed country was too much for them. They opted to stay in the new Persian kingdom and built good lives there. So Esther's story takes place about 500 BC in Persia, a land where Esther was a foreigner and her religion was shunned. In 483 BC, Xerxes the Great was Persia's fifth king and reigned from his palace in Susa over a huge area from the Indus to northern Sudan. And he was a powerful and capricious man, and it didn't do to get on the wrong side of him. He was planning a war against Greece, so he invited all the military leaders to a celebration in order to plan the battle strategy. Uh, They obviously couldn't agree very easily, because this plan took six months to work out. But after six months, they completed the plan, and Xerxes organized a feast for everyone who lived in Susa. And everywhere was beautifully decorated, and the wine flowed. After seven days, Xerxes was very merry with wine, and he wanted to show off his beautiful queen Vashti. So he sent for her. Well, Vashti, meanwhile, was holding her own feast for the women. And when the king sent his servants to order her to the king's feast, she said no. 
Xerxes was furious. How dare she say no to the king? And he was humiliated by his wife. What was to be done? The king and his advisors decided that what they really needed to do was make an example of Vashti in case all the other wives in the kingdom decided to do the same. So they decided to banish Vashti from the king's presence. It was a bit of a rash thing to do because the king quite liked her, really. And later on, when his anger had abated, um, they decided to find another queen. Uh, So servants were sent throughout the realm to bring all the beautiful girls in the land into Susa, um, into the harem. And for 12 months, they gave them beauty treatments. If you read in the book of Esther what these treatments were, you're not, you don't quite understand how they could make anyone more beautiful, but they gave them beauty treatments. And then each girl in turn would be taken to the king. And the one that the king liked best would become the next queen instead of Vashti. Well, in Susa, there was a Jew named Mordecai whose grandparents had been taken from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. Mordecai had a young cousin, Esther, whom he'd adopted when her father and mother died. And Esther was very beautiful, and she was one of those chosen to go and live in the harem and try out for the queen. Before she left, Mordecai warned her, don't say you're a Jew. Racial and religious prejudice were alive and well back in 480 BC. So Esther arrived at the palace and went through the 12 months of beauty treatments hiding the fact that she was a Jew. And eventually it was her turn to go to the king, and she dressed in her finest clothes. Well, the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the others, so he put a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti, and gave a great banquet in her honour. Meanwhile, Mordecai visited the palace every day just to make sure that Esther was okay. One day, he overheard two of the king's guards plotting to assassinate the king. He told Esther about this, and Esther in turn told the king and told him that Mordecai had heard it. And when it was investigated and it was found to be true, the two officials were executed and the whole incident recorded in the palace record books. As time went by, Xerxes made one of his servants, Haman, the chief the Grand Vizier, Prime Minister. Haman was an unscrupulous and greedy man, and unfortunately for the Jews, didn't like them. Due to his exalted position, the other court officials would bow to him as he walked past, but Mordecai would not bow. Uh, Jews were very firm. They would only bow to God, to Yahweh, and Mordecai would not bow to anyone, to any other God or to any man. Mordecai's attitude infuriated Haman, and he came up with a plan to get rid of Mordecai. And while he was about it, all the other Jews as well. He cast lots to determine the best day to carry out his plan, and the day that was chosen was about a year ahead. So Haman went to the king, and he said, there is a tribe... A race of people scattered throughout the provinces of your empire, and their laws are different from those of any other nation, and they refuse to obey even the rules of the king. It's not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please, your majesty, issue a decree that they be destroyed. The king agreed, 
and confirmed his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman. Signet rings were used as personal signatures. Each ring had a raised imprint unique to each individual and letters were sealed by pressing the ring onto soft wax and all official documents were certified using the king's signet ring. So by giving Haman his signet ring, Xerxes gave him his personal signature and it meant Haman could do whatever he wanted. So he sent letters um, out to all the provinces, signing them in the name of the king and sealing them with the king's ring. The letters decreed that all the Jews, young and old, including women and children, should be killed on a single day, the day that had come up when Haman had cast lots. Persian kings were thought to be gods, so when a king issued a decree, it could never be cancelled, even if it was ill-advised. So the death warrant for the Jews was signed and their fate was sealed. And there was great mourning among the Jews. But God has ways and means of doing things, putting people in the right places so that they can influence even governments for good. And Esther was in the palace. In the palace, she was happy. She knew nothing about what was going on. And so Mordecai got a copy of the decree to her and asked for her help. He asked her to go to the king and beg for mercy for her people. Esther didn't want to do this because anyone who entered the king's presence without permission, that having been asked to go, was likely to be killed. The king was very capricious and just didn't want people approaching him. If the king held out his royal scepter to the person coming in, then they would be safe. They could touch the scepter, be safe. But otherwise, they would likely to be killed. So even the queen couldn't go into the king's presence without being invited. And Esther said, it's 30 days since the king invited me to go. But Mordecai urged Esther, don't think, just because you're in the king's house, you will escape when all the other Jews perish. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from somewhere else. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. So Esther summoned up her courage. And she came up with a plan. And part of the plan was she asked Mordecai and all the other Jews in Susa to fast and pray for three days and three nights. And then she said, I will go to the king. And if I must die, I am willing to die. So after the three days had passed, Esther put her plan into action. She had a banquet prepared. And uh, she put on her royal robes, made herself look beautiful. And then with great fear and trepidation, she went to the king's chambers. Esther stood before him. Would he accept her or would she die? Fortunately for Esther, Xerxes was in a good mood and Esther had made herself look very beautiful and he stretched out the royal scepter to her and she touched the tip of it with a sigh of relief and approached the king. And the king said, what is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. And Esther asked the king and Haman to come to the banquet that she'd prepared. At the banquet, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you, even up to half the kingdom, it 
will be granted. You would have thought at this point that Esther would have said, please save the Jews, but she didn't. She didn't jump straight in. Somehow, God made her ask the king and Haman to come to another banquet the next day. And Haman went home very pleased with himself. I'm the queen's favourite, he thought, just the king and myself in her own chambers. But on his way home, he caught sight of Mordecai at the palace gate, who again didn't bow. And he was, Haman was again infuriated by his attitude. And when he arrived home, Haman told his wife that Mordecai had robbed him of all his pleasure. His wife and his friends egged him on. They said, why don't you have a gallows built? And in the morning, have the king, um, ask the king to have Mordecai executed on it. And then go with the king to the banquet and be happy. So they built the gallows. But God had other plans. And that very night, King Xerxes couldn't sleep. I love, I love what the Bible says. It says, to amuse himself, he read through the royal record books. I might read about Jack Reacher, um, but the royal record books, no chance. In the record books, he found the reference to the foiled assassination plot. And he asked his servants how Mordecai had been rewarded for his part in foiling the plot. And when he found he'd not been rewarded at all, he thought, I must do something about this. So the next day, Haman came to the king to ask him to execute Mordecai. But before he could say anything, the king said to Haman, what should I do for the man that I want to honour? Haman, the king wants to honour me. This is great. What would I like? So he answered the king, have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn, and a horse that the king has ridden, and let one of the king's most noble princes robe the man that the king delights to honour, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Excellent, said the king. And much to Haman's chagrin, the king commanded Haman to honour Mordecai in this way. Haman was furious. But he didn't dare ignore the king, so he found himself honouring his worst enemy. Well, later, the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther again. And the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your request? It will be given you, even up to half the kingdom. It will be granted. And then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favour with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been designated for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who would dare do such a thing? This wicked Haman is our enemy, Esther replied. Haman grew pale with fright. And the king was so angry, he stormed out into the palace garden. Haman stayed behind to plead with Esther for his life. And then in despair, he fell on the couch where she was reclining, just as the king returned from the garden. To the furious king, it looked as though Haman was attacking the queen. Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? The king roared. And Haman knew he would die. So he was killed on the gallows he had set up for Mordecai. And the king gave all of his property to Queen Esther, And Mordecai was given the king's signet ring.
All that remained now was to save the Jews. The king's decree couldn't be repealed, so another law was passed which allowed the Jews to defend themselves on the day set for their extermination. And Mordecai wrote letters about this and sent them out using the king's signet ring. And when the day finally arrived, the Jews gathered in their cities to protect themselves, defend themselves against anyone who might try to harm them. It was a day of great bloodshed as the Jews and their enemies fought and many were killed. The Jews killed 500 in Susa alone, including the 10 sons of Haman. And then they had a great celebration. And the Jews remember this every year and they named it Purim from the Persian word for lots because Haman had cast lots about when the day should be. In just over two weeks from now, on the evening of Wednesday, February the 28th, Jews will again celebrate Purim, remembering God's goodness and Esther's courage, remembering when the Jews were delivered, not killed, on the day appointed by Haman for their extermination. So what does this mean for us? We're called to be courageous, to have fearless Christianity, regardless of the consequences. Esther faced the possibility of dying if she did what was right. Well, here in the United Kingdom, we don't generally face the prospect of dying. The situations we face, the ones that we need courage for, are different. Perhaps standing up for someone who's being abused, perhaps facing illness. How can we display fearless Christianity? Who do we need to be in order to do that? It doesn't matter about our background. We heard last week how Boaz was the son of a prostitute and Ruth, who he married, was a foreigner. They didn't have a good background and neither did Esther. She was an orphan, a captive in a strange land, and she hid her race through fear. This morning, whatever your background is, God can use you. Don't use your background as an excuse. Don't say, I haven't had training. Don't say, I'm not clever enough, or I'm too young, or I'm too old. If God's in it, your background doesn't matter. Last week, when we heard about Boaz and his generosity, in Ruth 2, verse 3, we read, It so happened that Ruth went to the field of Boaz. Ruth and Boaz were in the right place at the right time. And Esther, Mordecai said, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Wherever you are now, whatever situation you are facing, unless you've deliberately run away from God, you need to know that God has placed you there. You are in the right place at the right time. God has called you to do something, to be someone where you are now. And even if you have run away, God has his ways of getting you back into the center of his will. Don't go near the sea. What about the courage, the right sort of courage? Esther was scared. Remember, she was still hiding the fact that she was a Jew. And her first response was to say, no, I can't do it. And Mordecai had to threaten her 
in order to persuade her. And perhaps your first response to a situation is to say, I can't. Just want to say that we don't remember Esther for what she first did. We don't remember her fear. We remember her courage. It's not the first thing she did, but the last thing we remember her for. And in your life, you won't be remembered for the times when you say, I'm too scared. You will be remembered for the times when with God, when you hold the hand of the Holy Spirit and you move forward with God, like we've been thinking about earlier. Esther was prepared to die. She was willing to pay the price in order to save her people. She was prepared to trust God with her life. Are you? Are you prepared to trust God with your reputation? With your finances? Are you prepared to be fearless in your Christianity? God promises that he will take care of those who follow him. Listen to these words from Proverbs. The Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. He protects the way of his faithful ones. God protected Esther, gave her favor before the king, and Esther's courage saved her people. And God holds you all in the palm of his hands. He will protect you. You do not need to be afraid if you trust in the living God. And then, make sure the plan is right. A word of warning. Don't rush in. Even as you use your courage to move forward, you need to use the wisdom and guidance that God offers you. Esther was aware of the potential disastrous consequences of her, di- her bold move. So she took precautions and she asked her people to fast and pray. Don't do anything without praying without fasting. Ask others to help. And then Esther didn't go blundering in. She came up with a plan and God honoured it. I just wonder why didn't Esther accuse Haman at the first banquet? How did she know not to do that? Sometimes we want to do something and we just feel uh, the Holy Spirit saying, no, not yet, not yet. Don't rush in. Make sure that God is with you in what you're doing. God used that delay to remind the king of how Mordecai had saved his life and turned the tables on Haman. And God promises that his Holy Spirit will guide us. James tells us if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So even as you pluck up your courage to act, Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Maybe tomorrow is better than today. I just want to finish with these words that Paul wrote in Philippians. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. Paul focused on God, on what God wanted. And for him, this earthly life was just a way of serving God. Living means living for Christ. Are we prepared to say that today? In a moment, 
we'll think again of how Jesus was prepared to sacrifice his life for us. And I just urge you to think, are you prepared to commit your life fully to Christ and to follow him? To live fearlessly, regardless of the consequences. Thank you.